This is the Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net and in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Online dispute resolution has been with us using various different methods since the 1990s, although it really became widely accepted a little bit over five years ago. In contrast, widespread acceptance of virtual mediation seems to have been an outgrowth of the COVID pandemic. Today, many courts around the country use one form or another, or possibly both, to quickly and efficiently settle cases. What has been the court's experience using these two different platforms? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to A Court Leader's Advantage podcast series. This month, we're looking at online dispute resolution and virtual mediation. Now, before we start our discussion, let's define our terms to avoid any confusion. For this episode, we're using the term online dispute resolution for online negotiations that do not occur in real time. Each litigant presents his or her argument in text for the opposing side to review and respond. Virtual mediation, on the other hand, occurs electronically in real time over a virtual meeting platform, for example, Zoom, WebEx, or Microsoft Teams. Some of the topics we'll explore today include, what has been the court's experience with these two formats? What has been the response from the folks actually using that format? What has been the biggest benefit and the one thing that needs to be changed? And finally, what advice do our panelists have for the rest of us? I'm joined today by Kathy Scott, the Small Claims and Civil Pro Se Mediation Program Coordinator for the Multnomah Circuit Court in Portland, Oregon. Joe Haas, a Domestic Relations Mediator for the St. Joseph Circuit Court in Centerville, Michigan. And Kelly Steele, Court Programs Manager for the Ninth Judicial Circuit Court in Orlando, Florida. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. Now let's start off by asking what has been your court's experience with the format you use? When did you start using it? Tell us a little bit about how it works and how many cases do you usually handle in a week? Kathy Scott, tell us about Multnomah's virtual small claims program. So let me just give a little history. I started switching to online in getting prepared to do so in April of 2020 after COVID hit. And we were ready to go in June, but the court didn't open it up for mediations until September. So we've been doing it since September of 2020, and we are exclusively doing online mediations now. And after a year and a half of them, a little more than that, I'd say overall, our experience has been really positive. Our resolution numbers are quite similar, if not the same as in person. We have put into practice a few protocols that help make sure people show up for the sessions, which they often did not do in person. And the mediators, some of them refused to try online. The parties seem to be reasonably happy. They don't have the past experience of in-person to contrast it with. The other thing that we had, we started on Zoom and then the court pulled the plug on Zoom and switched us to WebEx. I lost a lot more mediators when that happened because WebEx was very challenging for us. Zoom had worked much better. 
WebEx is better now. Kelly Steele, tell us about the program in the Ninth Judicial Circuit in Orlando. Sure. So we um, actually started, um, or we've actually used both formats here, and we actually started working toward implementing a small claims ODR pilot project as part of the Florida Supreme Court's ODR project in 2019. So um, we were exploring it pre-COVID, and our project went into production in March of 2020, which means it then came to an abrupt halt <laughs> while we... Um, <laughs> kind of recovered from the early days of COVID. Um, so we really didn't get going on our ODR pilot project until the summer of 2020. The product we implemented was um, initially supposed to be a fully integrated ODR solution. And as a lot of different things happen, as you move forward with working with the product, there's a little bit here and a little bit there that doesn't end up being fully integrated. So we ended up with a platform that required that our cases be manually identified and pushed from our court case management system into the ODR platform. Um, and then as people came to a resolution, whether it was negotiated or mediated, those agreements then had to be manually entered into our case management system through Florida has a statewide e-filing portal. So during our pilot, which lasted about a year, we put in about 1600 cases into our pilot. But as ODR ended, we were able to implement virtual mediation in our circuit. And since September of 2021, Orange County consistently mediates between 40 and 50 small claims cases every week. Joe Haas, tell us about the domestic relations mediation program in St. Joseph. So in, in Michigan, uh, the domestic relation mediation is ordered, will be ordered by the court, uh, but the actual process, the actual mediation and the scheduling and how the process that has taken place was left then to the parties and the mediator. That mediator may be chosen either, they may stipulate to it by the parties, or if they're not able to stipulate to it, then the court will order the mediator based on their list of mediators that have been made available to them. So in St. Joseph County, uh, it typically is one in which uh, the court will have an initial pretrial. Uh, with the parties and mediation at that point is discussed and hopefully the parties will be able to stipulate to the mediator and at that point that's when I get involved and I'm advised if I've been appointed uh, the mediator and then I will reach out to the parties to to schedule that mediation. Virtual mediation uh, has been solely a COVID result. All the mediations up to that point were in person and from St. Joseph County for the most part they required them to be in person and be held at the courthouse uh, so that if there were any issues that may arise that was a question of law or anything, the court could be there to maybe address the issue. But as a result of COVID, the only way we were going to be able to continue the mediation process is through a virtual mediation process. And we've been able to utilize Zoom. The uh, Supreme Court uh, quickly uh, set up Zooms uh, for all of the local courts. And as a result, I think all of the attorneys and the bar members quickly became acquainted to Zoom, how it worked. And so I've found that it has worked well and been received well by the bar members in regards to mediating via Zoom. And I would say for the most part, I find, I find the parties themselves have been very receptive to it. And, and in many cases, it's been a preferred way of mediating rather than mediating in person. Has there been any discussion of returning to in-person mediation? now that many think that the threat of COVID is declining? We are, have uh, started to conduct some mediations in person. We will uh, tend to leave that to the attorneys and the parties as to what they prefer. 
we're open and continuing to do virtual mediations and have found in many circumstances, the attorneys have preferred the virtual mediation. In domestic relation, as I'm sure you can imagine, there are a lot of uh, emotions that are running and sometimes just having the parties in the same building can create a tension that creates obstacles in the mediation. And through the virtual mediations, we can really create a circumstance where the parties don't really see each other until we've worked out, hopefully, a resolution. And then we, we agree and put it all on the record. And we found that that has been beneficial uh, in certain high-tension uh, di divorces. And so we, we kind of leave it to the parties. The other aspect that's been beneficial, I think, for St. Joseph County in particular is we have another a number of attorneys who may be an hour to an hour and a half away from our court. And so they welcome the opportunity of being able to have a virtual mediation rather than spending that time traveling back and forth. What's been the response from the folks that have actually gone through your program? Kelly? Yeah, you know, what was really interesting for us that I thought about ODR and it didn't really occur to me until after we got into it was we did small claims. And here in our circuit, we probably do about 65,000 a year. And most of those are credit cards. So we have a plaintiff's attorney on almost every case. And what our ODR platform really gave us the opportunity to do was connect these people for the first time. And they, a lot of times, were able to resolve their issues or come up with terms of a payment plan just in the chat feature of ODR. So they hardly ever made it out of the chat feature to develop actual agreements that they would file, you know, like two pro se parties would. It, what happened was the professional party who got the terms in the chat would then go out into whatever software they typically use to develop their agreements or their own documents to develop their agreements. And then they would e-file it through our e-filing portal. So in our ODR platform, it looked like none of these cases successfully completed because they didn't push the button to do the agreement in the ODR platform, but they came to terms. And then in our case management system, it was resolved. So it was really interesting. It was like, it, there's something about the communication facilitation that the online platform provided that allowed those people who wanted to come in and get that done to get it done early. We don't, we set our pretrials about 30 days after a case is filed and your virtual mediation is 30 to 60 days after that. So there's not a huge timeline that people are like really taking, able to take advantage of by doing ODR because it's kind of a quick turnaround anyway. But we thought that was interesting. As far as other experiences, we had a lot of people be frustrated because their case just technically didn't qualify to come in. So mm -hmm. our platform was a one-to-one -one ODR system. And so married couples, for instance, couldn't participate because our CMS counts them as two people. And so they couldn't go in to the platform to do that. Other issues would come up where people would miss the deadline. So we said, you have to complete your ODR within three business days of your pretrial conference. And people would want to extend that. Like it would close and they would call and say, oh, but we're, we're almost done. <laughs> Can you please reopen it? <laughs> and so I didn't find that people had difficulty navigating the system, but you know, you have to opt in. Ours was an opt-in. Both parties have to opt in. Both parties have to have an email. You have to get through it and finish it basically within four weeks. And, and that I think was a little bit difficult for people to kind of get through. On virtual mediation, we let the mediator choose the platform. So we aren't exclusive to any one platform, but we do have the same issues that anybody has with sending links out, you know, please check your spam folder. I didn't get the link, you know, my Wi-Fi is bad and my video is bad. We require video for our virtual mediation. So quality of internet service can be an issue. 
the other issue we have is, you know, with the virtual mediation, it's not integrated with any sort of form software or signature software. So after you're all done with the virtual mediation, there's still, I might use DocuSign, somebody else may use some sort of PDF option, and there's like emailing it and hoping the parties sign it and send it back to you so you can file. So, you know, when it was all in person, it was like pass the paper, pass the paper, you know, mm -hmm. um, it was kind of all one and done. But in our experience, only maybe 2% of our cases may run into one of those kind of technical issues. But that sort of, it's not as seamless as if everybody were in the room talking about the same document and dealing with it all in one place on site. So it would be nice if that was somehow, <laughs> somehow integrated yeah, yeah. in the process. You could like pass paper through the virtual mediation for signature <laughs> and pass it back, you know, some mechanism that somebody will figure out eventually. But that's really been, those are those kind of technical issues that exist in any sort of virtual environment are the ones that continue to exist in virtual mediation on our side. Joe? Well, I'd say a lot of the things that Kelly just kind of went through are some of the same issues that we've had. I, I think it's, the issue has been well received. The, the idea of virtual uh, mediation has been well received. Uh, you know, we once every once in a while we may have a party who is just insistent that they wanted to be in the same room as their attorney, you know, and we've been able to work those out. And, and, and you know, initially we weren't able to, and they were going to have, they just had to accept the idea that if we were going to be able to do this, everybody was going to have to be in their own place. Uh, as, as COVID has subsided somewhat, attorneys are feeling more comfortable of allowing their clients back in their offices. So we have had some circumstances in which the clients and the attorneys have been in the same room. And so we've been able to work those out. But for the most part, the issues have been the, the issues that Kelly we just talked about, the technological issues uh, in regards to, you know, not being able to connect, um, Wi-Fi issues. Uh, we certainly have issues of people trying to do it in their car uh, and those types of things that creates connection problems. And, and so we have those types of issues. And then the other issues that we have, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the other aspects, we get to see people, a lot of times people don't have their camera set up. So we're going to see foreheads instead of faces and those types mm -hmm. of things. But the other issue I'd say the probably the biggest issue has been the, the signing of the agreement. So when we've been able to work out an agreement, as they indicated previously, historically, we did these mediations at the courthouse. And so once we had the agreement, we went right into the courtroom and we put the agreement on the record in front of the judge. We obviously are not able to do that. So we put an agreement in place and, and get it ready for the parties to sign. And so then running through that process in Zoom uh, can be a challenge sometimes. But I will say I've been pleasantly surprised that it hasn't been as much of a challenge as I initially thought it, that I thought it would. You know, people uh, are grasping on quickly how these things work and the idea of we typically will use Adobe Adobe Docs to have them signed and people understand that uh, how the process works and they electronically sign it and it goes off to the next party and ultimately I get it and then advise the court of, of the settlement. Um, and you know, we're a small county and so there have been the times where we've contacted the court and said we've got an agreement. Uh, the parties would simply prefer to put this on the record in front of the judge right now. Uh, and if the court schedule allows, they open up their Zoom room and we just let them all go into the court Zoom hearing room and we put it on the record right then and there too. So we've really had uh, great success with uh, in cooperation from the courts and making sure that however we need to make it work, uh, they, they allow it. Kathy? I will tell you the little bit I have, but um, I wanted to address the signature issue just because we initially, 
figured out how to actually sign when parties were on Zoom. When we moved to wet, because everybody was on video initially, the people that they were volunteers to mediate, they weren't being assigned to mediate. And then when it moved to WebEx, we had many more problems. So the court found a way to, at the end of the mediation, bring everybody together with a clerk and record it into the record. And the clerk signs on behalf of the parties. I'm really fascinated to hear that you only lost 2% by people waiting to sign. That's one of our concerns is that we'd lose a ton of people who would never get back to it. But that's worked fairly well. And sometimes the timing doesn't quite work out. So we have to have the people call back the next day to sign. But it has, overall, we've been successful getting signatures that way. The feedback, we used to turn hand out paper feedback forms to every mediation at the end of the mediation. That was, we joke about, this is your ticket to get out of the room. And um, we, we try, we don't have everybody's email, the way the court system is set up. We don't have phone numbers and emails on their claims and counterclaims or responses. So we started collecting those during the mediation, but the risk, and we would send out the mediation satisfaction form we got back like one out of 20. So I just decided it was too much work. Nonetheless, the, the people in the session are usually pretty darn happy and effusive with some of the mediators about the service provided. And of course, there's a few people who are still prob probably kind of grumpy <laughs> about mm -hmm. the service. But most people seem very, very grateful. I don't know if you find this, Kelly, but the fact that they're volunteers really adds to the rapport building and their, their gratitude for their service in trying to help them resolve their conflict. Now, what's been the biggest benefit from the platform that you use? And what is the one thing that really needs to be changed? Kathy? The biggest benefit is we kept the mediation aspect of the program moving, whereas the trials just shut down for, I think, about a year. And we got to feel much more confident that there's other ways of doing things that may be more environmentally friendly and cost-effective for volunteers and for the parties. A lot of our parties, we have a lot of collections cases, and those folks are struggling already. You have to take time off to travel to the courthouse and pay for parking. I think that's a really big benefit of this program. Mm -hmm. and, and the results have been very good. So what would change? There's still some struggles with the WebEx platform itself. And I would love to switch it back to Zoom. Other than that, we're now going to be making rooms available for people who have challenges with phone connection or internet if they want to come down to the courthouse, even if the mediator and the other party are virtual, they can come in and use court equipment. We did not have that available at the beginning with COVID, and now we do. And I think that's a real benefit. Kelly? I agree that I think that one of the biggest benefits for us is just kind of the customer service component of it. You know, previously we set all of our 30 pretrial mediations at eight o'clock in the morning on whatever day they would come and whomever showed up 
kind of the group got there first, went in with the first mediator, second, third, fourth. And so it wasn't really like a time certain sort of event for your court case. And now with the virtual mediation, there's a lot more ability to coordinate and be flexible because you're not actually being assigned, you, you're assigned a pretrial date, but your, your mediation occurs at a date that's coordinated based on um, your schedule as well. And our courthouse, you know, is like many others where we're in the middle of downtown and you do have to pay to park. And um, there are just kind of a lot of barriers to just accessing our courthouse, getting through the front door can sometimes be a pain. So I do think that that has been one of the biggest benefits I don't know if if this is something that that may need to change, but I do think that we're still at a place where maybe per mediation, the entire event is taking longer for us mm -hmm. than it did previously when everyone was in the same place. Mm -hmm. So um, again, where we were where we were in the room and everyone came to us, it's sort of like you know how cases get scheduled, right? Where we're in the room and everyone comes to us and we can get through them all at one time and everybody's passing the paper and doing it all so that it's efficient for the person sitting in the room. We're still not quite there with, you know, is everybody here, you know, make sure your videos, like all the kind of little things that take a little bit of time all the time, 10 of those in a morning might take longer than 10 cases where they were all waiting for us out in the lobby. Joe? So I don't think there's any question for us, uh, similar to, to Kathy Kelly, is that, that one of the benefits, the, the biggest benefit, in my opinion, is the, is the ease in being able to get these scheduled and the flexibility that we can offer. Um, as I indicated, you know, we do these, previously did them at the courthouse. And so trying to schedule one, making sure there's room at the courthouse available, and then coordinating the attorney schedules and the party schedules. I'm a private uh, practicing attorney, and so it, it, the, the my schedule and court here as court court schedule uh, played a factor in as well. And being able to do this virtually, uh, where we can eliminate travel time, eliminate extensive court time, uh, makes it easier for us to find a time sooner and quicker. Uh, and so instead of scheduling the mediation uh, months down the road, uh, we can now do it a couple weeks down the road if the parties necessary uh, need it. Uh, usually it's scheduled months down the road because usually we're being advised well uh, early in the process as to when uh, the mediation uh, should be, take place. But there have been times where somebody has contacted us and said, we really need to have this mediated in a week. Can we do it? Before virtual mediation, the answer would have been almost assuredly no, uh, but we have been able to make it work uh, through virtual mediation. And finally, what advice do you have for the people tuning in to today's episode? Kathy? Try mediation. It's really, I really believe in it. It's part of why I recruit more volunteers because I think that it's an incredible opportunity to experience a different kind of conversation that may really help you resolve at a deeper level. Kelly? You know, um, I think I'll, I'll give just kind of a perspective on the ODR side of it. Um, you know, from our experience that if somebody's looking at implementing something like ODR, um, I think it would be necessary to have an opt-out and a fully integrated platform in order for you as a court to see a, the workload be neutral on your staff or somehow kind of a benefit to the number of cases that then make it down the line, either in front of physical mediators or actually in front of the judge. Um, everything just needs to be integrated. If you're if you're a court 
that has moved toward um, e-filing and all of those great things and you stick an ODR platform on it that's requiring things to be printed or downloaded and uploaded again, you've sort of taken a step back instead of taking a step forward by trying to offer online dispute resolution. Um, I also think that the court, if they want to do ODR, needs to consider whether or not they're willing to pay for it. I'm not really sure that the user pay model is going to be a long, long-term viable for ODR. You know, the parties still have to pay to file their case and then to have them pay again to do online dispute resolution just doesn't seem feasible, particularly when virtual mediation is often an option, especially after COVID. Um, but that convenience factor, like we said, we would offer ODR because it didn't really matter to us if people chose to use it. You know, if they chose to spend the $25, you know, fine, great. Our issue had more, our issue was more about the integration component and the additional workload on our staff because it wasn't an integrated system. Like we would have run ODR and virtual mediation as two options um, had it not been a workload increase for our team. Um, and, you know, of course, the biggest convenience that we all talk about with virtual mediation and also with ODR has to do with this customer service component and people coming down here and kind of, you know, justice on their terms sort of thing. But what was interesting about ODR is that um, almost nobody did it after business hours. <laughs> Everybody still was at work <laughs> doing their online dispute resolution and hardly anybody had any interactions on the other end of business hours. Um, but I do still think um, that it was it it could be worthwhile if if you can address some of those other components. Like I said, the biggest being make sure it's fully integrated, and really consider whether your court's willing to pay for it as a service and not tacking it on as like a user fee sort of option um, for your court users. If you want to see improvements in the volume of cases that your teams are having to process, Joe. So you know, I, again, for those viewing this this podcast, my my advice is to use it, use mediation, encourage mediation, uh, and if necessary, order mediation, especially in regards to domestic relation. I, I you know, obviously, I'm a firm believer of it. This is, this is what I commit a large large part of my practice to. Uh, but from domestic relation to me, mediation is the answer. It is the way to resolve domestic relation matters. And I often tell the parties that you you started your marriage uh, by agreement and you're gonna end this marriage by agreement. And that's the way it should be done versus having a, a court to do it. And you know, and my you know, my other advice would be to try to have more early intervention with the mediation. Um, you know, contrary uh, to Kathy uh, Kelly, uh, it is user pay uh, for domestic relation mediation. Um, and one of the, the tools that I use is it is a cost saving in that, yes, you're having to pay for the mediation, uh, but if we were able to resolve this today, you just saved yourselves a lot of legal fees in having to try the matter. And if we can get it involved even earlier in the process, uh, they can save even more of those legal fees. Uh, because, you know, especially in regards to domestic regulation, uh, there doesn't need to be a lot of discovery done. Uh, the parties know uh, what the, the assets and debts are and what all the issues are. And so uh, we can have a, a quick discovery and get right into mediation and hopefully save uh, a lot of uh, legal fees. And in my experience, the quicker you can get to that resolution, the quicker then the parties can get on with their lives and you uh, take away as much angst uh, and anxiety that those parties are occurring going through this divorce. I want to thank Kathy Scott, Kelly Steele and Joe Haas for joining us today and talking about online dispute resolution 
virtual mediation, and the courts. This is an important and relevant topic that courts are grappling with right now. As always, my thanks to you court professionals tuning in to today's episode. You have a front row seat in the decisions that your court is making today. It is your reasoned perspective that helps the court stay the course by providing fair and impartial justice. Thank you. Join us in July for another episode dealing with the issues facing our courts. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. Did you hear an interesting comment by one of the panelists that you would like to listen to again, but you don't want to search through the entire episode to find it? The additional resources section of the webpage contains a question time marker sheet. Just find the discussion question on the sheet, and next to it is the time that question was asked. You can then quickly fast forward to that time in the episode and listen to the panelists' comments. Remember, if you don't have time to watch an episode, you can always listen to the audio version. Listen in your car or on the bus on your way to or from work. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thank you, and have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.